This is Wheels Up. It's our podcast about the unusual stories we hear from the airlines, the airplanes, the people who work there, and the flyers. And I'm Mark Robertson. Welcome. And uh, we're joined, as usual, by our friend Jay Ratliff, iHeartRadio's airline expert and former airline executive. Hello, Jay. Uh, Pleasant day to you. Pleasant day. All right, let's see. Let's start off with probably the most interesting breakfast burrito that ever got smuggled on a plane. (laughs) What was this? Yeah, it was at least the attempt was to try to get it on a plane. (laughs) Uh, But it it was at the Houston's Hobby Airport. And a passenger checked in, was having his bag screened. It was going through the x-ray machine. And the TSA agent who was positioned there noticed that the breakfast burrito was a little bit bigger than normal. <laughs> and uh, they they pulled it to the side. They did the secondary screening where they looked a little bit closer. And they found something that appeared to be narcotics-related. They contacted the airport police who showed up discovered it was crystal meth, and the passenger was arrested. So, I I mean, imagine how good you have to be as a TSA agent to notice that the breakfast burrito is a little bit bigger than normal. I, You know, we talk about anytime they mess up that we talk about, but look, these days they have 1.4 million chances a day to screw up, Mm -hmm. and for the most part the frontline people continue to do a very good job. That is remarkable that they were that attuned to something as small as a breakfast burrito going, that's awfully large. Now, they're not looking for drugs, obviously. They're looking at things that could harm an aircraft, explosives and things of this nature. So if they find anything that could be considered an illegal substance, that's not their 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 position to you know arrest people uh, but what they do when they find it is they contact the local law enforcement there at the airport to have them check it out to see what's going on and they go from there so you know they're not there to catch us carrying stuff it's illegal they're there looking for obvious items of a terroristic nature sure. but uh, in a situation like this they followed procedure and just did an incredible job i feel i feel so bad for the guy because he didn't have his breakfast you know, and you know he's never getting that back to eat. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was a – so, yeah, don't don't smuggle crystal meth in your burrito, breakfast burrito. I'm writing that down, yes. Yes. Um, this is Wheels Up, our podcast about the offbeat – definitely like that, offbeat stories about the airports uh, and airlines. Jay Ratliff uh, is my guest. I'm Mark Robertson. All right, let's talk about some other things. Uh, the man who gave us – um, Southwest Airlines apparently is ready to start a new airline called Breeze. And oh, yes. from what I just read, among the cities that he is maybe thinking about is Charleston, Nashville, and maybe Savannah. Yes, and it would be it would be great to see that as the case because, yeah, well, look, I can't get too excited. They've got three or four airplanes at this particular time. So, I mean, it's you're going to see what we're going to see here, but... You know, the bottom line is that any time that we can introduce into our nation's, uh, you know, uh, transportation system additional carriers, that means additional competition, which means lower fares. Sure. And uh, it, it would be great to see. Now, we've not had a, a, a newer airline kick up from start uh, for a while, and most of that has to do with the fact that it is an extremely competitive field where your profit margin is very, very thin. In fact, if you looked at the profits that some of these airlines make per flight per passenger, where this passenger's giving them $25 in profit, this passenger $17 in profit, this passenger 50 you would think it would be a lot more than it is. But 
That's the reason that they survive and thrive on frequency by using that aircraft, that what we call the silver revenue tube, <laughs> as many times in the course of a day as they can. Most airlines take that aircraft, they'll use it three to four times a day. Southwest made their money by using that same airplane four to five times a day. Mm. So, uh, look, if we get Breeze, if we get others, I'll be thrilled to death because that means additional uh, competition for the big legacy carriers who then will be forced to compete. Now, there are, because of the pandemic, I would assume there are a lot of pilots that either retired or were furloughed. And from what I just read, they are already recruiting pilots for Breeze. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And he is, um, uh, Neilman is saying he's, he's calling this what he wants to be the world's nicest airline. But we don't know really specific what that means. It's, it's a bit ambiguous, I agree. And, you know, the, for, forever, airlines ha- have rolled out and said, if we provide a higher level of customer service, we will attract more people. We will have a, a more loyal following. But the, the reality is, that if some airline's going to treat me like garbage and it's $100 and another airline's going to treat me like royalty and it's $140, I'm flying on the $100 airline mm-hmm. because I, I want to save money. I'm, I'm paying for transportation, safe transportation, from point A to point B. Yes, I would like to be treated nice. Yes, I'd like to be told thank you and all these other things. But the reality is, eh, you know, if I've got a family of four and I save 40 bucks a person, yeah, I'll go with the we don't care that you're a live airline versus someone that takes real good care of me. So it's nice to have that as a goal, but because you hear people complaining all the time about how bad airlines treat us. So, So the marketing minds of a lot of people think, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for us to jump in and take advantage of all of these disgruntled passengers by providing better service. And certainly there would be a following there. But to build a business model around that, when you're talking about people who are just looking for the cheapest form of transportation from point A to point B, it's very difficult to be ultra successful there. So what, what is his plan? Is it just going to be all direct flights to cities around the country, or do we know anything? From what I understand, I've not sat in, obviously, on any of their, their, mm-hmm. their uh, pre-departure meetings, sure. but uh, that seems to be the case using the same sort of similar model Southwest used in their early days back in the early 70s as far as flying just from point to point. You weren't connecting through a hub of any kind, mm-hmm. and you were just going from there. So that's, that's, the, that's the game plan now, but it could change because right now we're seeing the major airlines shift in that same direction. I don't recall a time in the last 30-some years that I've been around the airline industry where I've seen a United, American, a Delta, say, look, we're going to take this airplane out of wherever, Savannah, and we're going to fly it nonstop to a Florida destination. We're, we're not going to go through the hub of Atlanta because we can fill that airplane with a lot of passengers that want to fly to that destination. We're seeing United, American, and others do that with cities across the country where they're saying there's a big demand currently for people flying to these destinations in Florida. So as a result, we're going to give them nonstop service from these outstations, these small outstations to these uh, vacation destinations, and they're changing their business model to respond to the changing environment that we have right now that, you know, for the most part, has been brought on by the pandemic. So this will be a no-frills airline, and it'll probably be direct from cities, a, a direct flight? Yes, that, that's, okay. the game, that's the game plan as we see it now. But okay. obviously, you know, 
we have to wait and see how everything goes because, look, the, the bottom line is that the idea, the concept that you have versus getting it rolled out, how long it's going to take. Because there's a lot of people that say, Jay, I've never heard of Breeze Airlines. They may be a great airline. I'm not going to fly them because I don't know who they are. Right. And it takes – AirTran had the same situation when they got started back in the mid-'90s because no one knew who they were. And they had these incredible fares to Florida for $49 each way. Right. But people didn't want to fly them because they did not know who they were. Sure. All right. Uh, let's see what else uh, is making news. So uh, I was watching the uh, the president of France um, speak the other day, and he's talking a lot about f- uh, France is very much on board with climate change. And now mm-hmm. Macron is actually saying that they may ban short domestic flights if train service is available. They want to actually cut the number mm-hmm. of flights, I guess. Which means if you have an airline and you want to fly it in France from one city to another, and it's less, it's two hours or less, you'll be told no. If they have if they have ground transportation, they're going to say no. Yes, the passengers will be a little inconvenience. Yes, it'll take a little longer to get there. But uh, the bottom line is that we feel, you know, they feel, not me, that uh, you know, not having airplanes flying across the country is going to make the world a safer place. So we'll, we'll see if it catches on. The initial uh, plan was to ban any flights four hours or less. Mm-hmm. And think about Savannah. Think about how far you can fly from here in two hours. And then imagine that none of those places that are two hours away you could fly to. You'd have to take ground transportation to get there. And when you're talking about a 1,000 miles in all these different directions, that's a pain in the butt. Mm. But, you know, this idea of saving the planet by having fewer commercial airline flights is uh, something that has been uh, on the the radar for these countries and even airlines, which – Boggles my mind. I remember KLM two years ago having their Fly Responsibly campaign mm-hmm. where they had an actual campaign where they were encouraging their frequent flyers. This is an airline, KLM, that's been around for 100 years. And the campaign was, consider your next flight. You may not need it. Maybe a phone call will suffice. Maybe <laughs> you can take the train. Now, imagine being an airline that's encouraging people not to fly. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, you, th- this is a joke. It has to be April 1st. There has got to be something going on here because there's no way under in God's green earth that any company would pay for a program to encourage people not to use their product or service. Right. But that's exactly what KLM was doing because they wanted to show the world how much they cared. And that's what France apparently is doing. That, but they, he really, Macron seems to be very into this climate change thing, and he's very oh, serious about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, con- they're convinced that airlines and aircraft uh, and commercial aviation is killing the planet. And especially when they see reports about over the next 10 to 15 years, commercial aviation is going to double with, in regards to how popular it is, the number of airplanes and all these other things, because you know, pre-pandemic, just over a year ago, we were talking about a shortage of pilots, mechanics, flight attendants, all these things in the future that we were facing. Airbus and Boeing were worried about, can they make enough airplanes to keep up with the demand? A lot of third-world countries are going to start seeing an explosion in the number of people traveling. It's going to become cheaper than ever in some regards. So as a result, a lot of people said, look, we've got to do something to stem this uh, incredible growth in aviation because if in fact that these things are killing the planet, you know, more airplanes are going to going to do it more. And obviously, I don't agree at all with any of that because I remember in high school being scared to death over global cooling that the air that the world was cooling off. And obviously, 
that proved out not to be the case. So we found another cause to raise money on, and it's now global warming. Right. That's just yeah, that's just Jay's little opinion. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know how widespread that's going to be. Uh, will other airlines go? Hey, you know, that's that's a pretty smart attitude. Let's do it too. Mm-hmm. But we'll oh no, and, and you make a great point because airlines play follow the leader. Yeah. So if it's a good idea, they're going to. It's like United Airlines saying the next they're they're going to hire. Uh, women and, and people of color over half of their their pilot positions for the next nine years. It's a it's a great idea. Look, we all want diversity, but to me, you're not going to have enough people there to to fill that many positions. And if it's a really good idea, other airlines will follow it. If it's not, then they'll kind of be out there by themselves. Well, since you brought it up, because I I know it was in in your e blast, we could talk about this too. It's kind of interesting. United Airlines wants to hire. Uh, a, a broader perspective of pilots who are minorities, who are black, mm-hmm. who are people of color, that are women and, and what have you. And they want to do this over a period of time. And, of course, the question is, are they going to forsake safety in the uh, in, with an opportunity to hire someone who fits their, their mission? Now, what they'll say, because I've asked, is they'll say we are not in, in any way uh, putting a – a damper on safety because there will be no pilots hired that aren't qualified. Okay, that that that's the good PR statement to make. But here's here's the reality: is if you have a a, a, a pilot that has you know twelve thousand five hundred flight hours, mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a white male, and here you have a person of color that has three thousand flight hours, with the minimum being let's say twenty five hundred uh, flight hours, they're both qualified. So if United says by hiring the one with the least number of hours, it's it's a safe hire, okay, I get that. But if I'm flying, who do I want on the cockpit? I want the individual, man, woman, person, I don't care who it is, that has the most experience, the most flight hours. So if they're at a point where they can't, and I think if I'm not mistaken, forgive my memory, it's like 7 and 13% is currently their makeup within their pilot group of women and and pilots of color. So as a result, to go to 50%, I mean, if they double it, they're still not even going to get close. Mm -hmm. So if they reach down the road where they find out they're not meeting these predetermined numbers, yes, they will hire pilots with less flight experience to hit that quota, which is stupid. And, yes, it is a reflection on safety because – you're going to have less qualified pilots in the flight deck, and I'm sorry, and in case of an emergency where experience really counts, that does become a discussion of safety. And it's really unfortunate that United, who wants to show how much they care, and look, I salute the, I salute the attempt, but you have to be very careful when you put numbers out there that people are going to expect you to hit. And they've got nine years to do this. If they, Let's say they take it to you know, 35 or 40%, which would be beyond what they had, they're still going to be slammed for not hitting their numbers. And then you have to look at the idea, okay, do we have a pool of women pilots or pilots of color that are enough that are out there that would fill these open positions? So it's really a a curious position that they've taken, but the airlines have gotten so political. It's, It's like they can't wait for the next cause or something that they can jump up and down on. And say, let us show how much we care. Let's. I, I mean, I've seen airlines re- react to gun control measures, and of course, the voting issues, and all these other things that are ongoing. Instead of just being in business to be very good at what you do, for some inexplicable reason, these companies feel it necessary to make 
comments on issues of society, which alienates a portion of their customers, which from a business standpoint is absolutely insane. Well, it makes me wonder, why didn't they try to reach a smaller goal initially? In other words, to go 25% of all our fleet will Mm -hmm. will be pilots of color as opposed to 50 and then do them in stages. I, I don't know, and, that, and that's another good point. But the bottom line is that the, that was the decision that they made. And a lot of times when they do these things, you're thinking, where, where's this stuff coming from? Because it just doesn't make sense when you have them making decisions like they're making. But, again, when you look at it, it's it, it's it's just a matter of companies trying to prove how much they care, trying to make a difference. And, yes, I get that, and I'm thrilled that – we have companies that care about things like that, but when you make it a position uh, for your company as far as part of your mission statement, then it becomes very, very dangerous. And in the case of United, in, in some instances, looking to hire certain pilots that may have less flight hours than others, it's a lot like the Federal Aviation Administration a number of years ago who had the same issue. They said that uh, you know we, we need more air traffic controllers that are, are from minority bases or from different you know types of backgrounds, if it's women, people of color, whoever. So they changed the way they did it, which was a college degree or experience or something along those lines. And anybody that applied, the first step was a behavioral questionnaire. And when they tallied this up, if you were someone who played sports in high school, you got 10 points. If you're someone who had a pilot's license, you got five points. So... It's like, wait a minute, excuse me, you're telling me that somebody who has experience as a pilot who understands the air traffic control network is is going to score less on a test? Than, and that's exactly the case. So when you go down this quota avenue, as some of these government agencies and companies try to do, it's with good intentions. But when you look at the reality of what's going to happen – it makes no sense, and unfortunately, that's exactly what we've seen here. Well, let me ask you this. If you've got a pilot who's got 8,000 flight hours and another pilot who's got 3,000 flight hours, will you necessarily, as an airline, pay the 3,000-hour flight uh, pilot less than the other one? Well, it depends. I mean, look, if you're if you're uh, on the left seat, if you're the captain, and, and very few airlines are going to have someone with that little of a qualification in the left seat, so you're going to go in as a first officer. Okay. And most of the airlines have a very consistent pay scale for the first officers based on your experience and the type of aircraft that you fly. And the way you make more money is to accumulate hours, then you become a, a captain on whatever type of aircraft you specialize in and go from there. So it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, again, the, the logistics are going to be impossible as United and others try to go forward with this. And, yes, you're right. Let's see if any other airlines decide to follow suit. Well, I was wondering, are they doing this to save money? In other words, if they figure we can get pilots of color who have less experience, can we pay them less and therefore save some money? Well, cost is always an issue, which is why the Airbus and Boeing right now are developing aircraft next generation that are going to have one pilot and not two on the flight deck. Because so much is automated, you really don't need two pilots up there, according to them. So therefore, one's going to do it. The generation of aircraft beyond that, probably 35 to 40 years from now, is going to be aircraft that are going to be completely automated. Mm. No pilots. And you talk about airlines chomping at the bit. When you can get rid of the vast majority of your payroll for pilots, Mm -hmm. they will sign up in a heartbeat. And what they say is, Jay, most of the mistakes, the accidents, things of this nature that occur 
do so because of pilot error. Therefore, if we reduce the likelihood of pilot error by using more automation, commercial aviation as we know it is safer. Well, we all remember far too well the Boeing Max issue with mm-hmm. when the automation was taking over those planes, what happened. Right, right. So uh, it, it's a scary situation to go that far, but believe me, that's the direction that uh, aviation is headed. That's creepy. That's as creepy as driverless cars, and I'm not sure I'm ready to go that route. But um, interesting. Um, we've talked a lot in the in the past several installments about uh, middle seats on airlines, and I know mm-hmm. ini- initially a couple of airlines said we're not going to book the middle seats and you know give our passengers the the comfort the peace of mind that they're not too close to someone else to spread a a disease. And, of course, now with more people starting to fly, the middle seats are getting sold. And now the CDC says the middle seat should be blocked. Caught the industry completely off guard uh, when it came out, as it did, uh, at a point when airlines are seeing nearly 1.4 million people fly a, a, a day. Uh, again, a far cry from the 2.1 million or whatever that they would normally see this time of year, but light years away from the 100,000 a day that were flying a year ago. And you're right, the airlines as of late last year into this year, with the exception of Delta Airlines, have been selling those middle seats. And then all of a sudden, here comes the CDC saying uh, that we've conducted a report, the findings are in, and we suggest that you block the middle seat. Now, for something the airlines did not want to hear, it's that. Because it was a year ago, the airlines were doing a lot of things they were doing based on the CDC reports and findings that were coming out. That's one of the reasons that they said, you know, we need to have six feet of separation. We're going to not sell the middle seat, which is a joke because middle seats aren't six feet across. So, I mean, just, you know, but the thought was a lot of it had to do with the CDC's recommendation. And airlines last year could not wait to prove how sensitive they were to everyone's health and safety by blocking the middle seats, which was, again, a joke, because when you have 15 people on a plane that holds 145 seats, uh, what's the big deal about blocking a middle seat? <laughs> it wasn't in command anyway. So it's easy to say that then. My, my point last year, as we continued, was let's see once the demand for travel returns, how dedicated to the airlines are to our safety by keeping those middle seats blocked. And as of last, late last year, most every single airline said, you know, it's now safe enough with all the things we have in place safety-wise to start selling these middle seats. And since most airlines have a good number of their aircraft parked and they're only flying a percentage of their fleet, the flights that are operating are 80 90% full and more. So that's why you're seeing a lot of things happen right now with regards to the uh, you know, airlines being filling up their seats. And Delta, I mean, they're proudly stating that, you know, we're going to continue to block our seats till May 1st. But a couple of weeks ago, they had a, a staffing issue where they had a problem with uh, uh, a lot of flights that had, they were canceled because of a mistake they made. They had all these passengers everywhere. So guess what they did? They lifted the ban on middle seats for two days, Sunday and a Monday. And then on Tuesday, they reinstated the ban. <laughs> so it's like, excuse me, if, if it's really a matter of safety, can you please tell me why it was okay for those two days to – to disregard the safety issue and, and then come back on. It, it, it's all a, a bunch of baloney, and that hypocrisy was, was very clear at the time. But uh, don't look for airlines to say to the CDC, you know what, you're right, we're going to start blocking the middle seats. Uh, no, because if you've got an aircraft with 28 rows and you're talking about two seats a row they're going to give up, 
fifty some seats on an aircraft. That's just not going to happen. Airlines lost so much money last year. They're at a point now where they're starting to make some money, and the last thing they're going to do is take a step back. So, absent an order from the president or someone else, this is not going to change. And as a result, what's going to take place is uh, you're going to continue to see middle seats uh, being sold right and left. Will the CDC report adversely impact the number of reservations and the airlines are seeing now? That's that's a million-dollar question, and that's something the airline industry is really, really worried about because I remember before Thanksgiving, the CDC said, don't travel, don't travel, don't travel. And then we got into the first of the year, same sort of thing over the holidays at the end of the year, don't travel. We were going into spring break uh, travel season, and Dr. Fauci and all the don't travel. So we've kind of ignored a lot of what they've said up till now, which makes me believe that probably this report's not going to impact adversely too much of what's taking place. But we'll have to wait and see. And airlines will know pretty quick uh, as they look at their future bookings if the number is starting to uh, trail back just a bit. Now, April is going to be a very good month for them. But once we get into May, which is one of the slowest travel months of the year, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because mm-hmm. September and May are the historically the two slowest travel months of the year. And we'll see as far as if the numbers that we have right now of people flying are even close to that once we get to next month. Okay. All right. Last thing I want to ask you about because I thought it was good to go out on a, on a positive note. Uh, American Airlines is celebrating their 95th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what they're doing. This is kind of cool. They're giving away 10 million frequent flyer miles to the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, to try to help the, 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 the dreams of 95 people come true. It's a great organization to work with. And, look, if you're sitting on a bunch of frequent flyer miles, American or whoever, and you're not, you know you're not going to use them, donate them. Mm-hmm. You can give them away. Give them to Make-A-Wish or someone else for them to use for a great cause. That's what American's doing. And they're also rolling out some $95 fares to certain markets as a way to celebrate. And they're, they're going to spend the – the year doing just that, so it's it's good news. I'm I'm thrilled to see it, and hopefully they'll they'll continue to to do that. And, and Americans, they've been a leader in so many things in the industry. Uh, it's nice to see them doing something like this, especially at a time when they're starting to fill up their airplanes. It had been one thing a year ago when their airplanes are practically empty to give away 10 million frequent flyer miles. To do it now when the airplanes are filling up is a dedicated effort to what they're doing. And it's going to cost them some revenue, but they're doing the right thing, and I'm thrilled to see it. I didn't realize that American Airlines is the airline that came up with the Super Saver. They were. In fact, prior to deregulation, which happened under the Carter administration in October of 1978, that's when the the airlines were free from government control. If you wanted a, a different meal, uh, if you wanted to charge a specific fare, whatever it was, you had to get permission from the government before you could do it. So when deregulation uh, came through in December, excuse me, October of 78, airline, it was like, okay, let the games begin. You saw a lot of low-cost carriers come in. You saw uh, you know, the, the demand or the uh, increased travel kick in with a lot of these low fares. And that's when uh, American Airlines spent a year developing the frequent flyer program. They were the first one to roll it out, and it was copied by, obviously, other airlines. But car rentals, hotels, everybody in the industry – followed the lead of American Airlines, and it was a couple of years later they rolled out a super saver fare that they didn't know if it would work or not because it carried a 10% penalty if you canceled your ticket. And they really didn't know if people would go for that because 
you know, you, you, you pay 100 bucks for your ticket, and if you don't fly, they're going to keep 10% as a penalty. People were unfazed. And that's when they said, well, now it's a 25% penalty. <laughs> Again, people kept buying tickets because the fares were so low. Mm-hmm. They briefly went to 50% and then 75%, and then they rolled out these non-refundable tickets not knowing what was going to happen. But if you offered a, a low enough advance purchase fare, people were gobbling them up. And they said, hey, this is great. And it's one of the things that started to allow airlines to, to get money in advance. Because think of it, if you were going to fly and there was no advantage for buying your ticket in advance, you just buy your ticket at the airport on the day of departure. Mm-hmm. Now the airlines had a way for you to give them money for future travel seven months in advance. So as a result, they had that operating capital that they could use for all of that time for their business purposes. And it was a brilliant move. And it's you know, obviously with us to this day. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, happy anniversary, American Airlines. Very much so. And, and hats off for the job that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, thank thank you for the job you're doing, too. We love talking to you and, and learning all about this kind of stuff. Uh, if uh, if you have a question or a comment that you'd like to share for Jay, well, shoot me an email. It's Mark Robertson at iHeartMedia.com. We would love to hear from you. And Jay, we'll talk to you again real soon on Wheels Up. And I appreciate the time.